Isn't that a beautiful name that we pray in? Jesus' name. There is no name like Jesus. In today's message, we are, as I said before, looking at the life of John, and we're going to specifically be in Luke chapter 7. But before we talk about that, I want to share a story with you of, of, of someone that I just consider to be a remarkable person. I've mentioned him before, and this gentleman's name is, is George Mueller. Any of you have ever heard his name before? Well, George Mueller lived in the 19th century, and in the 19th century, it was on George's heart to be able to open up an orphanage. So through his lifetime, he was able to open up, I believe, five different orphan houses and was able to help out 10,000 children who were orphaned. But what I think sticks out in my mind about this gentleman named George Mueller was his incredible faith that when all people around him would doubt, he would continue to have the faith in believing that God would show up in his life and in the life of these children. As you can imagine, servicing so many orphan children would, would cost a lot of money. Oftentimes, it would be more than what the orphanage could ever handle, but George had this way of deciding that he would not ask for the things that he believed God was meant to provide. Now, that's very different than most of Whoa. Okay. Am I on? <laughs> now, now, that's very different than I think most of us, right? Most of us live in a time where, where, where we're so overcome by doubt that we feel this constant need to ask and remind God. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your doubts and letting your doubts be known and, and praying to God about the things that you need or the things that you are struggling with. Scripture encourages that as we just read today, right, in James 1.5, that if any of you lacks wisdom to be able to ask God... All right, we got to try to see what we can do here. Uh, tech team, do you, do you want me to switch to the pulpit mic? Okay, one more time. All right. Where was I? <laughs> As James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, that we could freely ask God. But so often, the way that we ask God is we ask God with the continued heart of doubting, right? Whereas if we've totally forgotten the thing that we prayed for the day before, or maybe even the moment before. Well, there's this one particular story that sticks out for me with George, and it had to do with a day where they ran out of food. They didn't have any more milk for the children, and they didn't have any more bread for the children. 
And as the day was going on, people realized that this next morning, these kids were not going to be able to have breakfast, and he had a lot of kids to be able to take care of. And George just stayed steadfast in his belief that God was going to provide. Well, soon the day turned into evening. In the evening, let's just switch over, guys. Evening turned into night. And eventually what would happen would be the morning would come. We still don't have food. What do we do? George said, let's pray and thank God for the food that he's going to provide. So immediately they start praying and they start thanking God for the food that he's going to provide. And, you know, you have to wonder, right, did, what, was George worried at this point or not? We may never know, but one thing we do know is that eventually there was a knock on the door. And George goes and he opens up the door and who is it? It's the town baker. And he says, George, I just don't know why, but the Lord, I feel, believe, just woke me up in the middle of the night, and I just had this sudden urge to just start baking, and I wanted to bake for your children here, so I baked all of these, these pastries. Will you take it? And then moments later, there's another knock on the door, and who else would it be? The milkman. And the milkman said, my cart broke down. I can't do all these deliveries. The milk's going to go bad. Could your orphanage use it? And just like that, God showed up and he continued to show up in this man's life and in this orphanage. And I love this story because it, I think, reminds us at how oftentimes we live with so much anxiety and doubt and, God, and, and we have this hard time trusting God's faithfulness in our lives when ultimately he shows up. And in those moments that he shows up, I know for myself, I often look back at all those times that I stressed myself out, that I worried, and I say, why did I even put myself through that? But we do that, and chances are, many of us are going to continue to do that. But let me preach a message to you today. Let me share this story with you today to hopefully get us to a place where maybe we do it a little bit less. And Lord willing, maybe we don't even do it at all. Because here's the thing, church. I don't want to doubt the goodness and greatness of my God. Do you? So again, we are in Luke chapter 7 as we look at John the Baptist. A little bit about John the Baptist. I know that he is a popular person throughout biblical history. In fact, I would say that John the Baptist is probably the most important theological figure in the gospel narrative other than the person of Jesus Christ himself. Now, I say this because that means that he is a very, very important guy. I mean, if you think about all the disciples and all the men and women of faith throughout the Gospels, the fact that I would say that means this guy was important. 
If you didn't know, John the Baptist was born just a few months before Jesus, and his mother in particular is in relationship with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Both Mary, or or, pardon me, both Jesus and John the Baptist, both in some ways originated under divine circumstances where an angel visited the families to tell them of this miracle that they were going to have. For John, his mother was very advanced in in their years and unable to have a child, but yet God blessed them with that child. Unlike Jesus, though, John lived a very peculiar life. He specifically lived a life kind of out in the wilderness, out in the outskirts of society, somewhere I think many of us want to go when we're in the middle of Denver traffic. (laughs) But he lived what was called a very ascetic life, meaning that he didn't know many pleasures. It says that his diet was of locusts and honey, and I don't know if you, if you ask me, that doesn't sound too appetizing. But eventually what God would have John do is he would fulfill a prophecy of a voice that is calling out in the wilderness that is in some ways publicly preparing the people of Israel for the coming of Christ. John was called to prepare the way for Jesus. And he did this with a message that was oftentimes hard and harsh for the people that listened. Because his message was one of repentance and baptism. But what's amazing about John's story is, is, is where it comes in all of this. You see, this would have been an incredibly dry period in the, the, the time of, of Israel. And I'm not, spe- I'm not specifically speaking about weather or temperature. What was dry about it is it had been over 400 years or around 400 years since the last real prophet was around. And for the most part, God was in some ways you can say quiet or it seems as if God was quiet during this period of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So John comes in in some ways bridging that gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the people would have taken notice of him as he continues on in this wonderful ministry that people hadn't seen for generations and generations of a prophet speaking out truth. Eventually, Jesus would encounter John the Baptist, and when John would see Jesus, he believed that he was not even worthy of untying Jesus' sandals, let alone baptizing him. But Jesus wanted to be baptized, not because he had sin in himself, but because in some ways he was, he was setting an image for us forward of, of death and burial. Something that we still follow in today and practice today. But what's remarkable is, is while John was baptizing Jesus, Scripture says this, it says that when he had baptized Jesus, he came up immediately from the waters, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's very rare in Scripture where you literally hear the voice of God, let, let alone visually see the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. But this moment signified Jesus as Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but I think based off of everything I said, and I just want to make sure you guys are tracking with me, do you think John's kind of a big deal? Would you think that John is someone who is a man of God or a man of faith? He's probably not the kind of guy to cower under pressure, right? He's probably not the kind of guy that you would think would buckle in a situation where he is, is, is some ways being challenged in his faith. If anything, we've seen just in this brief survey a very strong person from youth who has a very resistant personality in doing exactly what God is calling him to do. But listen to what I'm about to read next. Luke 7, 18. And we'll just be reading a few verses today, so I'm taking it easy on you guys than what I normally do. So Luke 7, 18. Luke 7, 18 says this. John's disciples told him about all these things, referring to Jesus and his ministry. You see, Jesus at this time, uh, in, in some ways, eclipses John, meaning that Jesus ends up becoming uh, more popular, if you will. His ministry is really exploding, and John, in some ways, is becoming more obscure. So his disciples report these things that Jesus is doing and his popularity, and, and Jesus is living a, such a different life than John, where John was kind of set apart and very restricted. Jesus is hanging out with sinners and turning water into wine and doing all these things that, that are very controversial in some ways. So continuing on, it says this, Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I'm going to read this again, because this, this, is, this is the crux of today's message. This is what everything that I'm preaching on is built off of, is this question that John asks, he says, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? What do you think you'd gather from this little moment here? John is doubting, right? John is struggling to believe and to understand why Jesus is living the way that he is. Because it is so different than how God called him to live. 
And if you didn't know this, by this time, John was actually in prison. And why is John in prison? Because he had the nerve and, and, and the gumption to literally speak against Herod, one of the rulers of that day, and tell Herod that what you are doing is wrong and you are living in sin. So what's John's reward for speaking truth to power and for being someone that fights against the wickedness of culture? In church, we need more people who are willing to do things like this. Amen? What's his reward? He gets thrown into prison. I don't know about you, but that, for me, would be very hard. And I think that is why we see a, a, a crack, if you will, in John's faith. Because he's been so passionately been living for the Lord and doing everything right. You know, our series is called Unqualified, and in reality, John stands as another person who you would think was qualified to do what he was doing. If anything, John is actually thinking Jesus is kind of looking unqualified. Jesus, you've been hanging out at too many parties, buddy. (laughs) But we see the crack in his armor here. Because John starts to get confused. I think that is exactly what's happening. Is he starts to get confused and he doesn't understand why such a devoted life would lead to this kind of end. And I think that causes him to doubt in this moment as he is becoming smaller and Jesus is becoming greater. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you feel like you've been doing what God wants you to do. But yet, the world around you seems like it's crumbling. Where you're seeing fault lines being created around you, and you're wondering, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't God blessing me? If you feel that way, know that this is exactly probably how John the Baptist felt himself. So John is living in a prison, but not all prisons are built by walls. You see, I think John is living in two kinds of prisons here. One is a literal prison, and the other one is a prison of doubt. You see, if you didn't know this, our doubts oftentimes have this way of entrapping us in creating a prison of life in our own lives. They cause us to, in some ways, lose the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, everything that's on this banner right here, because we struggle to believe. And church, look, this message is something that, boy, does it hit home for me. So please know that you are in good company here. with the lost and wretched sinners. (laughs) But this great godly man is doubting, and so often we fail to realize that doubts are a common struggle for all of us, that even for the heroes of our faith, 
So John, not understanding why this is happening, he sends his disciples to ask if he got it wrong, if he made a mistake. Is Jesus the person that he thought him to be, or should they be looking for someone else? I mean, think about it. You've, you've, you've raised up your whole entire life to be this man that's supposed to bring forth a Savior, um, to save the world, to bring peace, to reestablish Israel. Everything that you have done, you've done for the benefit of others and your nation, and you have sacrificed a normal life so that you can be a harbinger of God's coming kingdom, yet the messenger himself gets thrown in jail. And to add to this dilemma, Jesus never visits John. That's kind of hard, right? You know, as much as I love those bracelets that say, what will Jesus do? Sometimes I think about it and I say, I have no idea. I get that they're meant to encourage us to choose good things out of life. But sometimes Jesus does things that, in my mind, I'm like, I know I would have done something different. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Amen? This leads me to my first point that I'd like to make today. And I have more than normal today, so hopefully I could get through them all. And that is that doubts arise when our expectations fail to meet reality. I'd encourage you, church, if you have a pen, paper, phone, that you write this down. There are a few things in my ministry that I really feel like are a theme that God wants me to hit on. And I have to say that one of the specific things that I feel called to do in life is to help people with their doubts and faith. So this, for me, is a very, very important truth, and I encourage you to remember this, because I think if you do, it will serve you well. Your doubts typically come from a failure of expectation. Do you understand what I mean by that? That, what I mean by that is we often expect God to move in a certain way. We expect our lives to go in a certain way. And the trajectory of our lives we hope for is up, 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 right? But what do we often experience? We experience some up, but we also experience some downs. And I believe God ultimately gets us to where he wants us to be, but it does not look like this. And in those moments where we see those dips in particular is when the doubts start to arise, right? And that's exactly the moment that we struggle. So know this, when a doubt creeps up for you, that's a good opportunity to think to yourself, what is breaking down in my reality? What expectations did I build up that are causing me to feel all of these doubts right now? And if you do this, you can get to the root of whatever your struggle is versus sometimes trying to medicate the struggle itself. Does this make sense? So doubts occur when there's this failure to understand our expectations and the reality around us. 
And if you think about it, this is where we typically find ourselves from day to day, right? For John, he used this situation of prison to create an area of doubt in his own life. And I ask you guys today, what is the enemy trying to whisper into your situation? What doubts is he capitalizing on that causes you to waver in your faith? Church, I'm thankful that I get this opportunity to preach. Trust me, I am. It's one of, it's one of the things that fills my cup, being able to preach. But what really fills my cup is when I get to preach and hopefully these messages create a change. You see, you can get a lot of good advice out there. In fact, I hate to say this, but you can go to a lot of churches and get a lot of good advice. But what we're doing right now is is more than just good advice. We're looking at scripture. We're looking at the gospels. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at God's word. We need to let that change us. Amen? So let's continue to read what happens next. So Luke seven twenty one. if you have your Bibles. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Now, I like how he replies specifically to the messengers here. It says this, verse 22. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. I love that. I love that. And one of the reasons why I love that is because when we typically ask God a question, what do we want? When we ask almost anybody a question, what do we want? We want a yes or we want a no answer, right? God, are you the one that was supposed to come? Or or, I guess not saying God, but are you the one supposed to, to come or should we expect somebody else? Yes or no? It's kind of like when you're in middle school, right? Do you like me? Check yes, check no. (laughs) That's what we expect of God, right? But what do we see from Jesus? Do we see him answering in a yes or no? Not at all. He instead lists out these things that he is doing. And some might even think, well, is Jesus trying to avoid the question? Why are you bringing this up? Can you please just answer me? But you see, I think what is happening here is is something much more profound than we can possibly ever understand. And I think what Jesus is doing right here is he's giving him reasons to have faith. Did you hear that, church? Jesus is giving him reasons. So often the criticism of Christianity is, is that Christianity is a faith that is devoid of reason, meaning that Christianity is 
is something that you blindly accept, that you blindly choose God, and then you leave your brain at the door. Look, there is an element to faith that is blind, that, it, that, 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 that does happen, but ultimately our faith is established through good reasons. We have good reasons to believe that God is a good and great God. We have good reasons to believe that Jesus died and rose from the, uh, the grave. And John right now was receiving good reasons from Jesus to continue to believe that he was the anointed Messiah. And those good reasons had to do with the fact that the blind received sight, the lame walked, those who had leprosy were cleansed, the deaf heard. The dead were being raised and the good news was being proclaimed. You see, I think that this offered much, much more than just a yes or no. I think if Jesus would have sent these disciples back with a yes, John might have felt good for 10 seconds, but and then what would have happened again? He would have immediately gone back to his doubts because he didn't have a foundation to understand that yes or no. You see what I'm saying here? But by giving him reasons for his faith and reasons to trust that Jesus is who he's supposed to be, then that changes the story. Because now every single time, John might doubt what would happen instead. He'll think about the fact that the deaf are hearing again, the blind are seeing again. And at that moment, that's the cure for his doubts. Point two, doubts have the potential to strengthen your faith. I know I've been very mellow today, but let me explain this a little bit. I've talked about this before because, again, this is a common theme of my ministry. So what I'm saying, again, I think is vitally important for you. I think there's typically two roads that doubt sends you down, okay? So take your doubts seriously. One of those roads is strengthened faith. And what do we see happening for John? Do we see that road coming? Yes. But the other road is what? The other road is unbelief. And unbelief typically leads to bitterness as well. You see, oftentimes people think that the opposite of faith is what? Doubt. That's typically what people will say. But really, the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. That makes more sense. But it's one of those truths that's obvious, but we oftentimes don't realize it. You see, doubts, you don't have to necessarily feel bad about your doubts. But you do have to resolve them. Because if you don't resolve your doubts, then you will go down a path of unbelief. Then you will go into a place where you stop having faith, and because of that, you most likely will become a bittered person. You ever notice why sometimes you meet elderly people and they're either like the super nicest people in the world or super bitter? <laughs> this is my theory here. <laughs> if you do not deal with your doubts, if you leave your doubts unresolved, 
then what's going to happen is you're going to go down a road of unbelief. But if you deal with your doubts appropriately, then what's the alternative? Strengthened faith. Do you see anywhere here in this narrative, anywhere, where John rebukes, or where Jesus rebukes John? No, you don't. Because Jesus did not have any issues with his doubts. And in fact, in other places of Scripture where we see people doubting, we see an incredible compassion from Christ. Same thing happens in the Lazarus narrative. Same thing happens again with Thomas, doubting Thomas. He tells him, stop doubting and believe. But before doing that, he actually gives him the opportunity to deal with his doubts by doing what? touching Christ exactly where he was wounded. So God does not have a problem with you doubting, church. Take that truth today and allow it to sink in deep, because so often we feel guilty about having doubts when we don't see that in Scripture. What we do see, and it came up into the scripture reading today, is we do see God having a problem when we take a position of doubt. What do I mean by that? I mean that when God has resolved something in your life, let it be resolved. Don't continue to doubt him at every end of the, the, the corner. When that is your life, when all you do is doubt, and it seems like there is nothing that can appease your doubts, then know that that is actually a root problem in your life that you should take some time to deal with. And you should let some other people help you through that. You should let your brothers and sisters in Christ help you through that, or a counselor, or a pastor, or somebody to address whatever that root sin is in your life. Deal with your doubts, church, and don't feel ashamed for having them. There could be good reasons why you are doubting, but not every doubt we deal with has to be a crisis of faith. For some, it could be exploring the truth of Scripture. Not everything is a mystery in the Bible, believe it or not. It's a mystery when we don't read our Bibles. I Trust me, I say at times, well, there's certain things that are a mystery. But as one of my seminary professors used to tell me, Dr. David Bouchard used to say, we have to earn the right to cry mystery, meaning that we need to do the hard work to seek God, to seek his word, before we just say, well, it's a mystery. And this is why here at this church, we take so much time when, when we have our messages, to be in God's word. Because this is an opportunity for us to uh, strengthen and solidify our faith and not think that everything is a mystery. And hopefully under my pastorate here, you guys have been able to experience that more and been able to hopefully strengthen yourself in your faith. And we don't give me the glory for that. Give God the glory for that because that's, that's his work. The last point that I have for you guys today is don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss what God is doing. This is harder than you'd think. 
okay? Because it's really easy to dwell on doubts, on negativity, on everything that is wrong with this world that we fail to see anything good. And look, if there's anything that I'm really preaching to myself about, it's this, especially last year. People ask me, hey, how was COVID as a pastor? Well, my job is kind of gathering people together. How do you think it's going? <laughs> how was it getting hit by a car? How was it? <laughs> so many things on, 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 uh, in this last year that I'm just like, God, where are you? <laughs> I need to remind myself, and so do you, that God is doing great things. In this church, God is doing great things. You know, just this last week, I had somebody in the congregation, and um, I haven't asked them permission to share their story yet, but just to, to, to highlight it, I, I, I had someone in the congregation reach out to me and tell them that they've been dealing with so many sleepless nights. That in fact, for months and months and months and months, it's all they've been dealing with is sleepless nights. And they texted me this past week to tell me that last week's service and the message and just everything that happened last week, that it was the first night in a long time that they were able to sleep and find some rest. Uninterrupted. That's happening here. That's happening at our church. Just what we were able to do yesterday, being able to help out all these families out in the mountains, That's happening here. That's happening in our church. God is transforming us here. He's doing good things here. And he's going to continue to do good things. And not not just monetary things. If you didn't know, we got to pay off our building last year. There's so much things to celebrate. And I know God's going to continue to do more. Don't miss what God is doing but have eyes to see. That's why I so often pray that in the beginning of every sermon. Lord, give us eyes to see what you are doing. We need to hold on to his truths. You know, something I try to take myself to when I'm in my own prisons of doubts. Because here's the thing, church. Life won't always be a better roses, even for the most faithful, as we've seen with the life of John. But Revelation 21.4 does say this, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be a day where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? That's a hope that we can look forward to. And we need to remember, especially in this series of unqualified, where we're seeing so many men and women in the scripture who looked totally unqualified to do what they were doing, just like even Jesus did. That Adam and Eve doubted what God said was true. That Abraham doubted that God would give him a son. That Moses doubted that he could be God's messenger. That David doubted that God was with him. That Gideon doubted that his own ability and calling in his life. That Peter doubted that he could walk on water. Mary and Martha doubted that Jesus could raise a four-day dead body from the grave. Thomas doubted that Jesus ever resurrected from the grave. 
But each of these people did not wallow in their doubts for long. They dealt with them. They allowed the living God to strengthen their faith, to stop doubting and believe, or better yet, to trust. And by wrestling with their doubts, they were able to see great things from God, things that they would never imagine, a son born, a nation rescued, enemies defeated, people delivered, the sick healed, and men and women brought from death to life. Amen? What each of these people had in common was a relationship with God who met them at their doubts. And in that place of weakness, he revealed his strength. Church, it's time. It's time for each of us to deal with our doubts, for God to take our weakness, the things that we fear most in life, and through it demonstrate his strength. I believe that we can do that. I believe that each and every single one of us has a testimony to share. And just as a bonus point to all of you today, help others in their times of doubt. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for John. And the chances are God is calling you to do it for somebody else. Church, This is how we become contagious. This is how we grow. We don't grow by just having the best kids ministry program or or nursery program. Because the chances are you can can find, and this is not a slight to worship music in in the church, but this applies anywhere. So I'm not trying to, 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 to diss any of our worship leaders here. But chances are you can find better music at a concert. Chances are you can find more fun at Disney World. But what's contagious about the church and what makes... I guess if you don't go to Disney World, Florida, California is probably not fun right now. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) My brain works weird sometimes. Sorry. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is that what makes us contagious as people is the living hope in us. The fact that we are able to deal with and address the things that commonly plague most of our lives. And we're able to do it in the love and strength of Christ. I'll stop now. I know I went long. But hopefully today offered something for you that will grow you in your faith. Let's pray.